After a two-week uh, hiatus from Romans, we come back to this chapter. And as I've said before, I'll so say again, that a great deal of confusion and, and controversy and much more has occurred in the church because of the failure to distinguish between the period of the law under Moses and the age of grace ushered in by the Holy Spirit of God, and also because of a failure to make the distinction between God's plans for Israel, national Israel, beginning with Abraham, and his plans for the church. So you see the, this little picture here, Israel and the church. Just let me say one thing. You know, we're so used and so accustomed to crosses, and I'm not going to get on anybody if you wear a cross, but that cross is very offensive to religious Jewish people. Because you see that, and you see the love of God in Christ. They look at that, and they see the hatred of, of false professing Christians who, who persecuted them under the, the guise of the cross. So it's just how you, you look at things. But nevertheless, Galatians 6.15 says this, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision, that would be speaking to the Jewish people, availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, Gentiles, but a new creature, a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. The church is not the Israel of God. The church here, or the Israel of God here in verse 16, is being used by Paul in a restrictive sense to identify the believing remnant among the Jewish people at that time and afterwards, and the Jewish people who are unbelievers. The Israel of God, listen to me, is not the church. It's the remnant of Jewish believers who are within the church because the church is composed of people who, all people who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Messianic Jews are part of that Israel of God. Replacement theology, if you're familiar with that term, another term for it is called supersessionism. It means the idea that the church has superseded Israel in the plan of God. Replacement theology, the church has replaced Israel. God is finished, really, with national Israel. That idea has historically led to anti-Semitism and the persecution of the Jews all throughout Christian history. It has fueled, literally, the fire of hatred against Israel. Anti-Semitism. You can see the definition here. What does it say? Hostility toward or discrimination against Jews as a religious ethnic group. Now, we've broadened that term to include discrimination against other people. But historically, anti-Semitism is used to describe the great hostility against the Jewish people and the persecution of the Jewish people by, by many, many different groups. So now I want to do a little bit of review. You're in Romans chapter 11, and down at verse 5, you see that the law cannot save. Amen? Only, only grace can save. So verse 5, even and then at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. In other words, grace and works are mutually exclusive. 
Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Romans 9. Hold your place in Romans 11. Go back to the last verse of Romans 9, around the last verse, verse 31. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, that would be through what? The law or grace? The law. <laughs> it says it right there. The law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness because they couldn't keep it. No man can. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. So they didn't attain righteousness that they needed because they were lawbreakers and they were not, they were not trying to receive righteousness, which is by faith through Jesus Christ, but rather by the works of the law. That's what he says here. But as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. The stumbling stone was Jesus. And that's ultimately the stone that everybody stumbles over, right? Either they receive or they reject Christ. So as a result of Israel's rejection of Jesus Christ, God brought a spirit of slumber to those in Israel who rejected the very one that the Father sent to save them. Verse 8, Romans eleven eight. God hath given them, these are the unbelieving Jews, the spirit of slumber. And now the spirit of slumber is described for us here. Eyes that they can't see and ears that they should not hear unto this day. Now think G- repeatedly Jesus says, he who has what? Ears to hear, let them hear. He wanted them to hear. Early on in his ministry, he was appealing to many, many different people, Jews and Gentiles. He wanted them to hear what he was said because he had the words of life but they wouldn't. Then eventually, if a person, as we say, dulls their hearing to the word of God, they run into big problems, right? So I'm going to ask this question. Why did the great majority in Israel not receive the revelation that Jesus delivered to them in order to be saved? Why did they not receive it? Was it because God did not want them saved and he did not predestinate them to salvation before the foundation of the world? No. It was because they refused to believe prior revelation that God had given to them. Watch carefully what Jesus says here. John 5.46. It's on the screen for you. Had they believed Moses, had you believed Moses, you would have believed me. And Jesus wanted them to believe him. For he, that's speaking of Moses, wrote of me. But again, if you believe not his writings, prior revelation that God the Father gave, how will you believe my words? Or why would you believe my words? You've rejected the revelation God gave through the law and the prophets, and you're going to reject me, the living word who's come to you. So here's the principle. And it applies not just in this particular situation to the people that Jesus was speaking, but to everybody who's not saved. The principle, light rejected will dull a man's sensitivity to further light. And that's even true of Christians. If they won't take the counsel of God's word, they're going to get deeper and deeper in trouble because they're rejecting the light that has been given to them. And then they become sensitive, they they lose any sensitivity to light. In the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and you can look at this, Luke 16. Luke 16. The rich man and Lazarus. How many of you are familiar with the story? 
well familiar with this story. Good? So from the story, and we're not going to read the whole thing. We'll get to the verses I want you to. But listen up. The story is this. There really is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. There really is. Remember John Lennon's song? Imagine there's no heaven, no hell below us. Well, there is a heaven and there is a hell. And in this story, Jesus says, there is a great gulf fixed between those two places, heaven and hell. And those who are in hell cannot go to heaven, and those who are in heaven cannot go to hell, because there's a great gulf fixed between them. Jesus said that Lazarus, the beggar, was in, was in Abraham's bosom. That was kind of like a, a paradise, a temporary place of, for the souls of the righteous who died before Christ. That's where he was. He was there in Abraham's bosom. But the rich man in this story was in Hades. He was in hell. The one in Abraham's bosom was comforted. The other in hell was what? He was, he was tormented, the Bible says. Now here's where I want to pick it up. Once the rich man realized that his fate was fixed because the gulf was fixed, once he realized that it could not be changed, he made this request, Luke 16, 27. Then he said, I pray you therefore, Father, that you would send him, that would be Abraham, to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he might testify unto them, lest they also come unto this place of torment. Now we're thinking, now he's showing compassion on his, his brothers. Maybe not. Maybe it's because he didn't want them there because his torment would only be increased because that's the indication we get from the, uh, the book of Revelation that people in hell are going to be, they're, they're going to continue with their wickedness in their hearts. There's no, there's no friendships in hell. Everybody's an enemy. They're enemies of God. They're enemies of one another. But nevertheless, look what he says. So he says, and, and he wants Abraham to go in verse 29, and say unto them, here's what Jesus responds in verse 29, or Abraham telling in the story, and Abraham says unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. That's prior revelation, right? They have all this body of revelation. Let them hear them. And he said, the rich man, no, Father Abraham, because that's who he's conversing with, but, it, but if one went to them from the dead, they will repent. They will repent. Interesting story. You know, as I said, the rich man wasn't concerned about souls while he lived, but now he is, if it's genuine concern. He, he may not have prayed at all in his life, but now he's praying to no avail. If Jesus says in verse 31, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither they persuaded the one rose from the dead. Again, Underline, prior revelation. John 6.37. All that the Father giveth me. In Calvinism, that would be the elect and only the elect. Everybody else perishes. All that the Father giveth me 
will come to me. And him that comes to me, I in no way will cast out. We all agree on that, right? Those who come to Jesus, Jesus isn't going to turn them aside if they come in true repentance. Verse 38, For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that, that sent me. I came down from heaven. Later on, Jesus will say that he was the bread come down from heaven. And not that Moses offered up, you know, they were looking for the signs. They wanted more miracles because he had the multiplication of the loaves. And, and they wanted bread to come down from heaven. You know, as Moses gave in the wilderness, Jesus says, I, I am come down from heaven. I am the bread come down from heaven. Two points of observation on, on this verse 38. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The words all that there in the Greek text is a neuter singular. It indicates that, that not individuals are being spoken of here. That's not who Jesus has in mind. Not individuals chosen before the foundation of the world, but a collective a, a corporate group of people. And every member of that Jewish group who comes to him by faith, the remnant according to grace, remnant according to election, will be saved. Anyone. But they have to enter that group by faith, that corporate group. Now, I came down, he says. Look at it. I came down from heaven. That indicates that Jesus is talking about his earthly ministry. He's focusing in on his earthly ministry. Now I ask you the question, which was to what people? Gentiles? Jews. John 1.12. He came unto his, what does it say? Who is his own? The Jews. Israel. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. They rejected him. Matthew 15, 24. I am not sent. I did not come, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That was my mission. And that is the context of who Jesus is dealing with from John 1 all the way through John 6, when he says, if you come to me, I won't, cast you, I won't cast you out. All that the Father has given to me amongst that remnant of Jews, Jesus, Jew, believing Jews at that time, they would be drawn by the Father, they would come to Jesus, and he wouldn't cast them out. So when you put, look at these verses here, it's kind of startling to some people. Jesus did not come to do global evangelism. His ministry was very restricted. Now, the good news is that after Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit to indwell believers, the gospel would go out to the whole world, the whole Gentile world, beginning where? In Jerusalem, with who? Jews, filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So now, now really, those Jewish believers are fulfilling the commission that was given to corporate Israel that they were to be the light to the Gentiles. Once they received the Holy Spirit of God, they were empowered by him to go out and to take that light and spread that light beginning in Jerusalem and then so forth and so on to the other most parts of the earth. So, his ministry was restricted. After Pentecost, the Spirit, with 
of God would empower the believers there to take the gospel to the whole world, beginning in Jerusalem. But I want you to understand this. Jesus provided the atonement which made salvation possible for the whole world, Jew and Gentile. And the interesting thing as we've studied in in Romans here is how would that come about? It would come about by the setting aside of national Israel. By the casting away of national Israel. That's what the scripture says in in, uh, uh, Romans, what is it, verse 15. For if the casting away of them, that's the unbelieving Jews, be the reconciling of the world or be toward the reconciliation of the world, what will receiving of them be but life from the dead? And it's interesting. When he talks about the Jews rejecting and through that rejection, God is going to take the Gentiles or the gospel and, and, and the salvation of Jesus Christ made the atonement possible to recognize, to reconcile the whole world. It's talking about reconciling the world. 2 Corinthians 5.19, it says God was in Christ, what? Reconciling the what? The world unto himself. John says he's the propitiation not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Second, or Hebrews 2.9, he tasted death for every man. On and on, the scriptures are clear that Christ made an unlimited atonement. Now, I want to say this to you, and I say it to you in charity. There is not a single verse that you can show me. I've looked for years. Not one single verse in the Bible, in context, clearly understood, that says that Jesus died only for some people and not everyone. Show me the verse, and we could talk about it. There is not one single verse that teaches that. So, John 6.39. And this is the Father's will who hath sent me, that of all of which he has given me, I would lose nothing. That's eternal security, right? But should raise it up again at the last day. So the question is, who are those that the Father gave to the Son during the time of Christ's ministry? Who are the ones that the Father gave to the Son? The answer, those who had received the witness and of Moses and the prophets concerning Christ. If they received that prior revelation concerning Christ through the law and the prophets, the Father would draw that group to Jesus and they would see and know that he was the Messiah and they would believe in him. And that's an amazing thing. And Jesus says, I won't cast them out. Watch this. Luke 24, 25. The road to Emmaus. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They didn't see Jesus, right? And then, then he kind of take the veil off and they said, and look what he says in verse 25. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that what? The prophets have spoken. Ought not to Christ have suffered these things? Because you remember the story. They meet the stranger on the road and, and he's, he's questioning them and it's Jesus. And, and did you hear about what happened in Jerusalem and so forth and so on? And Jesus says, you're, you're, you're slow of heart. You didn't really understand all the prophets had said. 
And then he says, Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? That's clearly written in the prophets. And to enter into his glory. So what does Jesus do now? He gives them a Bible lesson from the Old Testament. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Prior revelation that God the Father had given. And when the Jew, any Jew heard that and received it and didn't balk his ears to it, the Father would draw that one to Jesus and Jesus would not cast him out. What happened when John the Baptist came? Many of them rejected, most of them rejected him. He was calling it the nation to national repentance. But there were, there were some who repented at the preaching of John the Baptist. They received the word of God from him. Now, after Jesus died, we do know this, that no one can profess Jesus as Lord without the intercession of who? The Holy Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was dealing primarily with the Jews. Those were his followers, his disciples. Remember, he told them that the Spirit would come upon them. And, and would be in them and bring anything, all things to remembrance that he had spoken. Powerful ministry. Jesus also says that when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, what will he do? He will convict. Who? The world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's the, the ministry will be worldwide to all people. So I say this. We must make a distinction not only between the law and the gospel and between the church and Israel, we must make a distinction between how the Father worked prior to the Spirit's coming with the Jews. There was no indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Although the Spirit of God came upon the prophets and came upon David, and that's why David, after his great sin with Bathsheba and murder of Uriah, said, take not the Spirit from me. wasn't a permanent indwelling. So you have to make the distinction between how the Father worked prior to the Spirit's coming with the Jews and how things changed after the apostles were filled with the Spirit of God and they received what we call the Great Commission. It's an altogether different dynamic. It's a different thing that God was doing. So go to John 6.44. No man can come unto me except the Father who hath sent me Draw him. Amen. That is true. You won't come unless there's prior revelation in the work of the Holy Spirit of God in you. No man will come to me except the Father which sent me draw him, not drag him, as R.C. Sproul in, in his book teaches. And I will raise that one up on the last day. Verse 45. It is written in prior revelation the prophets, that they shall all be taught of God. That's all the Jews will be instructed through prior revelation. But here's the key. Every man, therefore, that hath, what? Heard and hath learned, what? Of the Father. That person will come unto me. And that's the one Jesus will never cast out. So look at this verse. All of the Jews were taught by God. They had the law and the prophets. All of them were taught by God. Those who had ears to hear and listened 
were drawn by the Father to Jesus. They received that prior revelation. They recognized he was the Messiah and they were, they were drawn to him. Romans 3.1 says, What advantage then hath the Jew? What profit is there in circumcision? Much every way, because chiefly because unto them were committed what? The oracles of God. Prior revelation. Romans 9, chapter 4, or verse 4. Who are Israelites? To who pertains the adoption? The glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. Prior revelation. They had this unique privilege. Marston and Forster says, only those in Israel who are spiritually discerning and in relationship with the Father are able to understand what Jesus is teaching. All the Jews were given God's teaching. They had the promises, they had the law, and they had the prophets, but only those who listened to the Father and learned from him through those prophets, who their hearts were open, were drawn to Jesus. So John 6.45, it is written in the Law of Prophets, they'll all be taught of God, so forth and so on, indicates that God would do his drawing not in some mystical, magical way, but through the Holy Scriptures. That is the vehicle that he used to draw people to Jesus Christ. Those who were, who were willingly obedient, willing to obey God's Word as it was revealed in the Scriptures, they would come to Jesus. They would come. Go over this verse again, John 6, 45. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father comes unto me. Look at it again. What does the word taught mean? They'll all be taught. That means oral instruction. Teaching, oral instruction. Heard. What does that mean? They're taught and they hear. It, it means to perceive the sense of what was said. So it's a discerning of the teachings. What, what God, the Father, had spoken about Jesus. They had ears to hear. They discerned what he was saying. And then the final word there is learned. Learned. So now they're, they're further along in the process. This word learned here is akin to the Greek word matetes, which means a disciple, a follower. So these were the people who were willing to increase in knowledge once they had heard and once they had received something. I want to tell you this in context. John chapter 6 was a separation point with the Jews who were seeking him only because of the miracles he did. And you could find that in John chapter 2. They were, they, they, were, they were seeking him. And then even Nicodemus, who had turned out he was a righteous Jew, well, he came to Jesus and he says, no man can do the things you do except God be with you, you know? And so he had some questions for Jesus. You read on further in John chapter 6, you know the multiplication of the, the loaves and, the, and, and so forth. And, and then Jesus began to give some very difficult teaching. He talked about people eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Do you realize how, how repulsive that was to a Jew? Here's what he said. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I am the bread that came down from heaven. You're looking for bread, right? You want your bellies filled. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Now here's what it says in John 6, 66. Watch. 
from that time, point of separation, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. What? I thought disciples were followers. Hold on. Not every disciple is a true disciple. Look at John chapter 2. John chapter 2, verse 23. Now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when, what? They saw the, the signs which he did. Right? The Jews seek after a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, is what Paul said. But look what it says in verse 24. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. He knew their hearts. He knew their hearts. So his, the people who are just following Jesus were following him. You know, they wanted to be healed. They wanted free bread from heaven. They, he was the miracle worker and so forth. But they weren't truly following him for the right reasons. So... I wanted to read another verse uh, or, or refer to another circumstance. But, it's, but before I do, John 6, 66, from that time, many of his disciples, the Jews who were not truly his disciples, went back and walked no more with him. Then Jesus said unto the 12, what? Will you go away also? Listen, I could almost get emotional about this because this was the verse, one of the two verses, that God used in a mighty way in my life to bring me to Christ. As a friend of, of mine was sharing the gospel with me, and all that time I was kind of putting up the walls and rejections, and I'd been following other, you know, other looking for truth everywhere else. And, and then, you know, he told me, where else would you go, right? Where else would you go? Jesus has the words of, of eternal life. And that's, that's what's going on here. It says many of his disciples went back, walked no more with him. And then Jesus said to the 12, will you go away also? Then verse 68, Simon Peter answered and he said, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. How did Peter know that? How did Peter know that? Because he was receptive to the prior revelation that God had given. You could go to John chapter 1. Look in verse 43, John chapter 1. Verse 43 says what? The following day Jesus went to Galilee and he found Philip and he said, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Then Philip found Nathanael and said to him, what? We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So how did they know? Prior revelation. How did Peter know? Because he had the record of the prophets, beginning with Moses, concerning Jesus Christ. You have the words of eternal life. He said, where else are we going to go? Right on, Peter. An unlearned fisherman got it when people much smarter than him didn't because he was receptive to God's word. John 7, 16. I know I'm bouncing around, but John 7, 16. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine, Didache, that's teaching, is not mine, but his that sent me, the Father. The Father's teaching. Then he goes on and he says in verse 17, If any man will do his will, 
received the prior revelation of the Father, his teaching that Jesus just expounded on, then that person will have discernment and will know of the doctrine, my teaching, whether it be of God or whether it be of myself. Look at this verse closely. It's not knowing and then being receptive. It's being receptive and knowing that Jesus had come from the Father. Those Jews who heard and learned could discern by Jesus' teaching the word of God that they had received prior to this concerning what the Messiah would be like, what he would do. So Marston again says these, those Jews are really seeking God's will for their lives, ongoing in a faith relationship with him. However limited it was, I should say, under the old covenant, those will be drawn by the Father to Jesus, and Jesus will not cast them out. And two examples come to mind. Simeon, the godly Simeon, and Anna. They were waiting for the consolation of Israel. Simeon was waiting. He says, I, he can't show his, shed his eyes in death until he sees the Messiah. That man had a great knowledge of the, the, the scriptures pointing to Christ. And he knew the prophecies. And when Jesus appeared that day in the temple, he held them up his hands. And in that he could die in peace for my eyes have seen what? The one you sent, Father. Anna, praying, praying, praying. What a prayer woman. Praying, praying. And she understood that it was the Messiah who had come in the flesh. So things, though, change once the new covenant was established. Holy Spirit was not working in exactly the same way. John 12, 32, then Jesus says this, and this is speaking of the gospel going forward. If I be lifted, what? Up from the earth, right? Now, he was lifted up in the crucifixion. He was lifted up in the resurrection. If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw, not drag, all men to myself. How? Through the revelation now contained in the New Testament scriptures as well as the body of preceding revelation pointing to it, the Old Testament scriptures. So God is no longer now dealing exclusively with the Jews as when Jesus came. The Gentiles now are taking the gospel to the Jews. So back to Romans chapter 11, the olive tree, beginning in verse 17. I'm not going to have time to read all these verses, but you heard it before. The olive tree represents corporate Israel, in relation to the Abrahamic covenant. Now, it says also in verse 19 and 24 that Gentiles, remember, God, God set aside Israel through their rejection. Gospel goes to the Gentiles. They're being grafted in contrary to nature. Now, the, the Jewish people who didn't believe, the branches were broken off, were broken off because of what? Unbelief. It says that clearly in verse 20. And at that moment, Israel's stewardship, stewardship, which I will define as their witness to the world, because they were to be the light to the whole world, the Gentile world. At that moment, when they were broken off because of unbelief, it was temporarily given to the church until the fullness, the full blessings of the Gentiles, the full number of those who will be saved will come in to the church. And then God is going to deal again with national Israel through the time of Jacob's trouble 
to bring them to himself. But look at the hope set before Israel in verse 23. And they also, that's the unbroken, the branches broken off, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. So the situation could change for a person, right? He, a person's in unbelief now, he could, be believe, he could believe in Christ, repent, and receive the blessings God has for him. For God is able to graft them again. Whoa, whoa, God is not finished with the Jews. Now look at this, this, this video or this diagram here, grafting. Grafting is the process of joining two plants together. You see that top plant there, I think that's called the scion or scion, whatever it is, S-C-I-O-N. They, they, they cut the wedge shape in the bottom, they cut the top and they fit it in perfectly. It takes an art, it's an artist to do that. And they begin to grow together as one. And if you want to read the process of grafting, grafting it's a miracle. All the things that have to occur and take place there. So in general, the wound, a wound is created on one of the plants, and then the other is inserted into the wound so that each plant's tissues can now begin to grow together. There's a, there's a unification there. But that wound has to be wrapped very tightly and protected until it heals to avoid pests and disease from entering that graft. So this is a, a picture God is using of what he did with the Jew and the Gentiles and grafting them into the root, the Abrahamic covenant, the promises made to Abraham. The IVP Bible Backwards Commentary says, this grafting of trees, adding a shoot of one tree to another tree, is reported in Jewish and Greco-Roman literature. Sometimes shoots from a wild olive tree would be grafted onto a domestic olive tree that was bearing little fruit in an attempt to strengthen or save the life of the tree. The unproductive original branches would be pruned off and the new graft was, was considered contrary to nature. It was a foreign, foreign tree being grafted into another tree. So it's contrary to nature. And that describes the Gentiles in verse 11, chapter 11, verse 24 of Romans. This, this process whereby they came in through Israel's unbelief, was, was, they were grafted in. It was contrary to, to, to nature. But the root of all the blessings went back to the national promises that God had given to Israel. And that's why he warns them. And he says, don't get proud about this. You know, the root supports you. You don't support the root. It's rooted in that old covenant that God made. So it says in verse 24, If thou wert cut off of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these be the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? How much more shall these unbelieving Jews, who are the natural branches by reason of their heritage, be grafted into the olive tree again? And they will when they believe, right? The very moment that they believe. So you come to verse 25, and I'll say this. Romans eleven twenty-five through 32 is the climax of Romans 9 through 11. And it ends up with this tremendous doxology and praise to God for this marvelous plan for what he did. But look at verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Remember, musterion in the Greek is not like it was in the pagan cults, you know, some secret uh, 
things that you, you only, uh, only a select group would know. It's truth that was hidden in, in for a time until the time that God revealed it. That's what the word mystery means. For I would, would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. The salvation of the fullness of the Gentiles is integral to the salvation of Israel. Their blindness will be lifted one day. One day. And it's the day of Israel's deliverance. Look, Romans eleven twenty six, And so all Israel be, will be saved. As it is written, there will come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from, from Jacob. This speaks of the Jews during the tribulation period on the verge of annihilation who are going to be delivered by Jesus in a temporal sense from Satan, the Antichrist, and the tribulation armies, but also delivered spiritually from eternal condemnation because of their personal sin and their rejection of him. He is going to turn away, it says, ungodliness for Jacob. That includes unbelief. Remember when Jesus says, if you don't believe that I'm here, you will die in your sins. So what, what is the ground for condemnation? It, it's, it's, not, it's not located in eternity past that God chose some and everybody else is he reprobated to hell. The ground of condemnation is the rejection of Jesus Christ. If you do not believe that I am he, the one the law and the prophets spoke about, you will die in your sins. They rejected prior revelation. Therefore, they rejected Jesus Christ. They rejected the witness of the Father concerning Christ. Luke 21, 25. And there will be signs. I think it's interesting. They always said to Jesus, what sign do you give us to show us that you're the Messiah? The Jews always seek after a sign. Well, you're going to see a lot of signs, not the kind you want. And there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars during the tribulation period. And upon the earth, distress of nations. Look, at the nations are in distress now, right? But this is nothing. This is nothing compared to what will come. Distress of nations with perplexity, bewilderment, the sea and the waves roaring. That's a, that's a metaphor of, of the nations of the world like this. You think it's going crazy now? And it is. Wait to the tribulation period. Just pray you won't be part of it. The waves and the sea are going to be roaring. That's the nations of the world are going to be in utter chaos. Men's hearts failing them for fear. Heart attacks. Literally. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven will be shaken. You don't want to hear that if you don't know God. 
And then, right? Not prior to this. Not now. Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a pow- in pow- with power and great glory. During that time, those Jews who are going through that tribulation period, seeing all those horrible things, they're going to see the Son of Man coming in power and great glory to save them. And then it says in verse 26, and all Israel would be saved. So let's focus on that. Look at the chart, because there's three views on what does it mean, all Israel. So all Israel, number one, is the church, consisting of both Jews and Gentiles who are saved throughout the present age. That's one view. Two, all Israel is the elect remnant of believing Jews within the the ethnic nation of Israel who are saved throughout the present age. Three, all Israel refers to ethnic national Israel, which is only what Paul has in mind here when he's referring to Israel, beginning in Romans chapter 9 which will be saved at the end of the present age, the tribulation period. That's the view that I hold to. Now, all Israel does not mean every Israelite will be saved, but it it relates to a believing remnant during that time of great tribulation who received Jesus Christ as their Savior when he appears. A large number will be saved. And the Bible says this is going to be one of the most dramatic moments in history. Jesus is going to stand on the Mount of Olives, which was the site of his ascension in Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. And you can see, this is the Mount of Olives looking from the Temple Mount, looking out from the Temple Mount. It's really beautiful. And then there's Gethsemane, which was located in in the Mount of Olives. And if you ever do some pictures, you can't see it here too good. There's many sections to this garden. It's a rather beautiful garden. And uh, it's, sometimes it's, certain sections are not open. You have to know somebody to get into it. And I, when I was in Israel, we were lucky because our guide was in really good keeping with the people who manned the garden and led us into the inner garden, which was really nice. And then on the highest point of Mount Olives, there is a building now called the Chapel of the Ascension. Because tradition says that this was the exact place, and nobody would know that, from which Jesus ascended to heaven. So they eventually, like churches do, you know, significant places, they build a church or so forth. Well, they built this little chapel there that they call it the Chapel of the Ascension. But it's probably very clear, very, very near to where Jesus ascended. In Luke 1.10, it says that on that Mount of Olives, well, they, they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, they saw two men standing in white apparel and they said, you, you men of Galilee, why are you gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up into heaven with power or with clouds, taken up in the clouds, will come in the like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Revelation says, he, behold, he cometh with clouds. So he's going to return right to that exact spot from which he ascended. And it's going to be amazing. The Bible says in Zechariah 17, Zechariah 14, 4, his feet will stand in that day on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will cleave in two in the midst thereof. There's going to be a tremendous separation, dramatic event toward the east and toward the west. And there will be a great valley and half of the mountain will be moved toward the north and half of it toward the south. What, what a moment. That'll get somebody's attention. 
And it says in Isaiah 59, 20, from which Paul quoted, And the Redeemer will come to Zion, and unto them that turn and 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 unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord, my spirit that is upon me, and my words which I have put in my mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of thy mouth of thy seed, nor out of thy mouth of thy seed, seed saith the Lord, from henceforth forevermore. At that moment, Romans eleven twenty six says that Zion, the, the deliverer that comes out of Zion, will turn away ungodliness from Israel, from Jacob. Their unbelief, their blindness, it's all going to come off. But that's what it takes. That's what it takes. And as I said, the ungodliness includes the sin of, of unbelief, Zechariah 12.10 and I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications, and they will look upon me whom they have pierced. And they will mourn for him. This is repentance. This is national repentance. The all Israel that will be saved at that moan as one mourns for his only son, and there will be bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. They will know that he was the one that was wounded in the camp of his friends. They will know that he was the one that was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. They they will know that he was prophesied to be the one who would be, be buried between thieves in a borrowed tomb. All of those scriptures will flood their minds. I'm sure it will flood their minds, those who know. So, we're almost done. Thanks for bearing with me. Verse 27. For this is my covenant unto them that I will take away their sins. What covenant? I think it's the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 33. This shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts. Prior to this, they had it on tablets of stone. And I will write it not on tablets of stones, but in their heart, and, the, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Wow. Jesus will be their Lord. Their tongue will confess. Their knee will bow. You are Lord. You are Hamashiach, Mashiach. Jesus the Messiah. Listen, I'll just say this. The new covenant was initiated by Christ's work of atonement on the cross for the remission of the sins of the whole world. And we as Gentiles who believe in Christ, we partake in that. We have entered into the new covenant. But it will be fulfilled with national national Israel in the future when he writes his word in their heart, no longer on tablets of stone. And the law in the inward parts indicates a change of heart. Do you have God's law written on your heart? Or is it just in that book? that you're, you're holding. And, and you're going through the motions reading the book like those disciples who followed Jesus but weren't true disciples. And when he said some things you find offensive, you'll turn away. So that's the question. Is God's word written in your heart through conversion, through the power of the Holy Spirit of God? When that happens... Things change for the good. A life changes. 
fruit is, is, is now appearing. Spiritual fruit is now appearing. And it will change every single relationship you have with people. A, a bullying husband doesn't care about his wife, cares more for his own things, goes off to his man cave, lives in his own world. When he's truly converted, things ought to begin to change that relationship. A wife who doesn't care about her husband, doesn't love her husband, doesn't respect her husband, when the Holy Spirit of God begins to write His Word on their heart, that changes. That relationship changes. And we have every right as believers to expect that, right? And to hold accountable. Now we sin. You're looking at, like Paul called himself the chief of sinners, I'm second for his sake. Everybody is in the same boat, right? All of sin and come short of the glory of God. But we confess our sin. And real quickly, we make things right. First with our relationship with God, and then with our relationship with somebody else. So if you sin against another person, even before you go tell that other person, I'm sorry, I want your forgiveness You seek God's forgiveness first. You just seek God's forgiveness first. That's that's why the prodigal son could say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. We got to see that first. That's the first crucial part. Well, I said relationships change. Look at verse 28. As concerning the gospel, the unbelieving Jews, they are enemies for your sake. I mean, they opposed the, the, the spread of the gospel and so forth. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. They're still part of Israel, chosen by God. And when the blinders come off, they become part of the beloved. That's a beautiful thing. The future in Israel who will be saved from an enemy to beloved listen that's true reconciliation because the justice of God has been satisfied when they put their faith in Christ listen if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior you are in a terrible state right now the wrath of God abides over you that's what the Bible says you you are alienated from God but the beautiful thing is Christ's death on the cross provided an objective reconciliation for you. In other words, you could be reconciled because the, the, the justice was paid by the death of Christ, but you must put your, your faith in Him in order to receive that reconciliation that He provided. And that's what's taking place here. True reconciliation because God's justice was satisfied when they put their faith in Christ as their Savior, when He came as their Deliverer from Zion. So to sum it up, when the partial hardening of Israel is removed, rejection will give way to acceptance. The natural branches, unsaved Jews, that were cut off, will be grafted back in, and all Israel will be saved, and in a new covenant relationship with God, who has never forsaken them. Verse 29, I close with this, Romans 11. For the gifts, and by the way, I think that's referring to the gifts that he talked about, the law, the prophets, the promises, all of those things that, that he spelled out there, I think was it in, in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. 
For those things, the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. Do you know what that means? Irrevocable. If you have come to the... To be, if you have come to Christ, that's the only way you can get to the Father now, right? It's kind of interesting. First you went to the Father, then, then through the Father to the Son. Now Jesus says, no man can come to the Father except by me. Except by me. And if you come to Him, and He's called you to Him, through the, your, through the Word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and you didn't say no to that, you're born again. You're a new creation. God's Word is written on your heart. And that state is irrevocable. That's what Paul says. God will never change his mind on it. Never, ever. And that's because, and I say this in closing, God never goes back on his promises. If you've walked with the Lord a long time, amen, you know that to be true. God never goes back on his promises. I will never, ever leave you nor forsake you. I'll take that. Right? I'll take that. I've made a lot of promises I never kept. I told people I'd be there and I never was there. And they've done the same to me. But Jesus has never left me nor forsaken me.